This is a CNA podcast. Hello and welcome to our brand new podcast, Money Talks. My name is Sarah Alcaldi, and I'm a business news presenter at CNA. As a young mother, and like many others of my generation, I want to get better with my money. So each week, I'll tap into different experts, from CEOs to financial advisors, and we'll find out how to make wiser financial decisions relating to how we live, work, and play. We'll go for some quick-fire questions in a few words. Can you give us your thoughts on the following? Okay. High inflation? It will come down. Green finance? Uh, definitely worth looking at. Robo-advisors? Uh, definitely worth considering also. China? Um... <laughs> okay. China belongs in the slightly riskier part of your portfolio. Okay. Investment scams? Uh, definitely be wary of them. Don't trust anybody. The old rule of thumb is trust but verify. Ah, great. We kick off the series with a renaissance man of money. David Kuo is the co-founder of The Smart Investor, a website dedicated to educating people about how to grow their wealth. David himself has been growing his money for decades, and I want to ask him if it's true that you need money to make money. Can you afford not to invest? And how should you spend your hard-earned bonus? David, thanks for joining us. Thank you. For those starting out on their investment journey, what would an ideal portfolio look like? Okay, before I even start doing that, Sarah, what I would like to say is, you have to invest. And the sooner you invest, the better it is for you. And for those people who haven't started investing for their retirement or later on in life, there is a general rule of thumb that says that you take your age and you divide it by two, and that is the percentage of your salary that you should be putting aside into an investment. So if you're a 20-year-old and you're just starting work, I don't know how many people start work at 20, but a 20-year-old who's starting work, you should be putting 20 divided by Mm 2, which is 10% of your salary, into an investment. Mm -hmm. Now, if you leave it later, if you wait until you're 30 years old before you start investing, you're going to have to put aside 15% of your salary. 30 Mm -hmm. divided by 2 is 15. If you wait until you're 50 before you do anything, you're going to have to put aside 25% of your salary in order to be able to enjoy your retirement. Mm -hmm. So that's a quarter of your salary going into some kind of investment. Mm -hmm. And so the secret really is to start as early as possible. And as soon as you start work, start putting some money aside into a portfolio Mm -hmm. so that you will be able to let that money grow over time Mm -hmm. and then enjoy life later on when you get older. So Mm -hmm. that is the general rule of thumb. As to what the portfolio should look like, again, it is actually sort of based on your age. And the general rule of thumb there is it's called the rule of 100. And the rule of 100 simply states that you subtract your age from 100, 
And that is the amount of money that should be going into riskier investments. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you are a baby, if you're investing, say, for your child, mm -hmm. and your child is zero age, right, on the day that they are born, 100% of whatever money you're going to be putting to one side should be going into a riskier investment, such as the stock market. And as you get older, less of that money should be in the riskier side and more of it should be in the less risky side. So things like stocks and bonds. Mm -hmm. So if you are, for instance, a 20-year-old, then 80% of whatever you are going to be saving needs to be put into the stock market and the other 20% can be put into other things such as Singapore savings bonds mm -hmm. or uh, cash or whatever. But 80% of it should be in uh, riskier investments such as the stock market market, primarily because that is the only way you're going to be able to grow your money. Mm -hmm. A lot of young people, though, are saying, but I have CPF. Yeah. So why do I have to go to the stock market if I have CPF to rely on? I agree with that totally. And I think the CPF is a great thing because it forces people to save. Mm -hmm. Now, in many countries, particularly one where I grew up in, Hong Kong, they didn't have a mandatory saving scheme for people. And so nobody actually saved because you weren't forced to save. But here in Singapore, you are forced to save mm -hmm. for your retirement. But that money goes into the CPF fund. And if you just allow it to grow using the interest that is actually being mm -hmm. paid for you, then that only gives you around 2.5%. That is not going to be enough. And I go back again to that rule of 100, which is how much of that money in the CPF should be in stocks, how much should be in cash and bonds, that will tell you what you are allowed to invest in. But the CPF has very strict rules. So the amount of money that you put into the CPF will not be sufficient for you to grow that money over time because they restrict the amount of money that you can invest in stocks and bonds. You can't take the money out from the CPF, but you need to invest outside of the CPF in order to achieve that kind of balance. Because otherwise, when you reach 55 or 60 or 65 years of age mm -hmm. and you have a look at what that money has done for you, you will say, I'm not going to have enough to retire on. And that is the big danger that you have. Because whilst it is great for somebody to force you to save money, mm -hmm. that money will not be sufficient for you when you retire. Mm -hmm. A lot of that money, too, goes to your house. You know, those getting an HDB loan or a mortgage loan. And some people are saying, okay, I'll just rely on my property. I'll rely on my HDB. When I get older, I'll just sell it or downgrade. And maybe that can help beef up my retirements from my CPF. What do you think of that? I don't disagree with that either. If you have a look at property, property prices tend to appreciate over time. And you have to have a look at some examples outside of Singapore. There are lots of people in the UK, for instance, that have put their money into their property. And just as you have highlighted, they say, well, you know, my property can be my pension later on. Mm -hmm. But how is that even possible? Because you have to downgrade. Mm -hmm. You have to sell your house in order to do something. And over in the UK, they've come up with some really ingenious schemes such as mortgage equity withdrawal, lifetime mortgages, whereby you can say, oh, I'll take a portion of that equity that I have in my house and I don't have to repay that. But instead, I'll be able to live off that lump sum that I take from there. And on the other side, 
whoever is actually financing that lump sum that you've taken out will roll up the interest slowly over time. And as we know, if you keep on doing that, eventually the interest will become quite onerous, but you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to pay it off. But on the day that you pass away, you may actually find that the 100000 or the 200000 you took out from your property, plus the interest that has been accruing, will mean that there is no equity left in your property at all. Mm. And so if you thought that I would be able to leave the property to my children, that mm. isn't going to happen because the person who will be taking the property will be the insurance company, mm-hmm. not your children. So you spent your life buying a property, financing the property through mortgage repayments, and then you hope that you will be able to leave something for your children and you find out that you've got nothing mm-hmm. left for your children at all. And so you're not really sort of helping the next generation. Yeah. Now, there was a survey done recently last year by Franklin Templeton, and it showed that a third of young Singaporeans think that making the right investment is difficult and investments make them anxious. So where do you think they should start? And do you think this is something that they can do alone or should they tap into an advisor perhaps or some kind of person who will give them advice on their investments? Well, there are several ways of looking at that. And my philosophy, and it's not my philosophy, but it's just just the general philosophy of uh, most people, is that that rule of 100 will apply, right? Mm-hmm. That rule of 100 has been around for a very long time. And the rule of 100 will help to guide you as to how your portfolio should look. So if you are a 40-year-old, then 60% of that portfolio should be in stocks and the other 40% should be in cash and bonds. And just use that as your template. Now, the other question is that 60% that you put into stocks, how should I allocate that 60%? Should I just go and take the 60% and go and buy investments in emerging markets? Should I buy penny stocks? Should I do what? The answer is no, right? You don't do that. You take that sum of money, that 60% that you're going to be investing in the stock market, and then whatever that amount of money is, you then need to apply another rule. And this is the rule that has stood the test of time. And what that rule actually says is that 60% of that amount of money should be in safer investments. So by that, we're talking about income-generating stocks. And here in Singapore, we have this wealth of real estate investment trusts. So if you are going to be putting that money into the stock market, then 60% into strong income-generating stocks, such as the real estate investment trusts, or maybe the bank shares that we have here in Singapore, they pay a good dividend. The Singapore Stock Exchange is another good example of a Mm -hmm. company that is able to reward you with regular dividends. So that is the 60% of whatever you're going to be putting into the stock market. Then you have the 30%, which is slightly riskier investments. And these are the faster growing companies. And unfortunately, in Singapore, we don't have that many Mm. faster growing companies. So you have to look overseas for that. So a good place to go and sort of look for those kind of stocks would be NASDAQ, where you have a lot of faster growing companies. So if you do your math, 60 plus 30 is 90. That still leaves you 10%. And that 10% can be then put into what we call speculative investments. 
And so as long as you have that, whether you want to call it the pyramid mm. or the beer bottle, call it whatever you want, you mm. must have a stable base of income generating shares, some faster growing shares, and then the other 10% put into whatever you want. I don't care what you put it into. Mm. Put into something that you think is going to be quite exciting for you, be they value shares, shares that you think have been undervalued by the market. You could even put it into cryptocurrencies. <laughs> I don't really care what you put that 10% of your investment into, mm -hmm. but don't fool around with the 60% of the income shares and the 30% of the growth shares, mm -hmm. because that will generate for you the kind of returns that you require. Mm-hmm. Conventional investment wisdom says that over time, stock markets go up despite the volatility in the near term. Do you think that still holds now? Do you think decades down the line, we can still get some kind of return from equity market investments right now? Oh, for sure. Okay. You see, one of the big problems that investors have, and I'm not just talking about new investors coming into the market, I'm talking about seasoned investors also. What they suffer from is something called recent event syndrome. Mm, mm -hmm. And recent event syndrome just says that what is happening now is going to be happening into the future. Yeah. And it scares them, right? They think that the kind of geopolitical problems that we have at the moment is going to persist for the very long term. And that isn't true, right? If we have a look at the stock market, say, over the last 70 years, right, which is slightly older than me, but <laughs> over the last 70 years, we have had 10 bear markets, mm -hmm. right, over that 70-year period. And each time we've had a bear market, we've recovered. Okay. Somehow we have recovered. So if you say 70 years and we've had 10 bear markets, that's one bear market every seven years. Right. So if you are a new investor now, mm -hmm. you are going to be experiencing a bear market roughly every seven years. I wouldn't set my clock or my calendar mm -hmm. by it, but roughly about every seven years, you're going to see a downturn in the stock market. Mm -hmm. But don't be scared by it. Okay. When you get that downturn, jump in and buy more mm -hmm. shares, right? Just carry, mm -hmm. on, carry on investing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be harder at the moment because inflation is mm -hmm. a big problem. Yeah. And there will be some people out there that will be saying, hey, inflation is so bad, I can't afford to invest. Yeah. Well, don't fall into that trap. Cut whatever you can, but don't cut the amount of money that you're going to be investing for your long-term future. Okay. Because that is very, very dangerous. You might think, oh, I won't put my $100 or my $200 into my savings pot now because I need it in order to buy food or yeah. whatever. Do anything else, but don't sacrifice that $100 mm -hmm. that you're going to be putting into the market. And don't listen to those people who are saying, oh, the market is terrible at the mm -hmm. moment. It's going to go down even further. Mm -hmm. Well, if it goes down even further, you are a long-term investor. So yeah. if you don't buy today and you think I can buy tomorrow, well, tomorrow the prices could be higher. Yeah. Nobody will tell you when the bottom of the market is there. So mm -hmm. don't fall into that trap. Yeah, it's an interesting point because markets have been under a lot of pressure this year and some young investors are experiencing their first down market or bear market ever. I've had people tell me they're down thousands of dollars in the stock market right now. So what advice would you give them? Well, I was up last night and I was buying shares last mm -hmm. night, even though the market was down. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really care because primarily 
I am an income investor, mm-hmm. and what that really means is that I am buying shares that have the ability to pay me dividends mm-hmm. regularly. Some of those dividends come in quarterly, some come in semi-annually, some only come in once a year. But the stocks that I buy are rewarding me with income. Mm-hmm. And because I've been investing for such a long time, Sarah, mm-hmm. my biggest problem is the amount of cash that is coming into my portfolio. Mm-hmm. And for the young people that are investing today, you will have the same problem later on in life. It may not seem like that yeah, now. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> it. It may not seem like that now, but in in twenty, thirty years' time, yeah. you will have that problem because the cash. Generated from the investments that you have mm-hmm. made will be coming in regardless of what is happening in the market. Mm-hmm. I will be collecting dividends from one of Singapore's banks today, right? Okay. And whether the market is high, whether the market is low, mm-hmm. it will be paying me a dividend. So my problem is putting that money to work and mm-hmm. looking at where it is going to be able to generate for me more money in the future. And that is what you should be looking at, not what is happening today. Right, and because if you don't put that to work, David, the value of that money will go down because prices are now going up, inflation going up, and that is a problem that we all have to face, isn't it? Well, quite right, Sarah. I mean, if if you have a hundred dollars today and you don't mm-hmm. put it to work, in a year's time with five percent inflation, mm-hmm. that hundred dollars will only buy you ninety-five dollars worth of goods. Mm-hmm. That is what inflation really means. Is that it is the the shrinking of the money that you have if you don't put it to work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing is right. I'm going to throw in another rule of thumb. Right. Mm-hmm. I promise no more rules of thumbs after this. <laughs> I have because, a lot of thumbs <laughs> because I haven't got that many thumbs. Yeah. Okay. So the third rule of thumb is the rule of seventy two. Right. Mm-hmm. And what that really tells you is if you take an investment. And you have some rough idea as to how that investment is going to be rewarding you over the long term. Take that percentage, divide it into seventy-two, and that will tell you how long it will take your money to mm-hmm. double. Okay, so uh, let's, for argument's sake, say that uh, you put it into the Singapore stock market. Mm-hmm. A good, stable Singapore stock market, and on average, it should give you about seven percent return a year. So it means that if you put a hundred dollars into the Singapore stock market today, that hundred dollars should double in ten years' time. Seventy-two divided by seven is roughly ten. So it means that the hundred dollars will double to two hundred dollars in ten years' time. The two hundred dollars will double to four hundred dollars in another ten years' time. So in twenty years' time, your hundred dollars will have turned into hundred, two hundred, four hundred dollars in twenty years' mm-hmm. time. Now, if you don't put the hundred dollars in this year, you're going to be missing out on four hundred dollars in twenty years' time, mm-hmm. and that is really what you should be looking at over the long term. And if you think, "Oh, I won't put the hundred dollars in because I need the hundred dollars for something else," find the hundred dollars, or don't spend the hundred dollars on the other things, but put the hundred dollars in because you're going to be missing out on four hundred dollars in twenty years' time. And that is what you should be looking at, not what is happening mm-hmm. today. We're going for a short break. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Julie Yu, and I'm the host of the new season of the Climate Conversations. From chefs to scientists, join me as we get personal with the people driving change in sustainability. Look out for our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. 
you're a seasoned investor. You've done this for so many years. And as you mentioned, you've got a lot of cash coming in. But do you still remember your first investment loss when you saw all the red in the screen and you felt that it affected your perspective on investments? Uh, both yes and no. I think I learned some very valuable lessons when I first started investing. And one of the biggest lessons I learned was that I invested in a company which at the time was a very stable company. But then this company decided that it wanted to take advantage of what was going on in the booming dot-com era. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, it changed its business model. And because it changed its business model, it borrowed a lot of money and eventually it went bust. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest lessons I learned was if you are investing in a business, then make sure that this company is going to carry on doing what it said it was going to be doing, right? Mm. Don't invest in a company that suddenly changes direction and does something else because that wasn't your original investing thesis. That wasn't the company that you invested in. Mm -hmm. I mean, this company originally made household goods and all kinds of things and suddenly decided that it wanted to go into the internet. And mm. in order to do that, it borrowed a lot of money. Then the dot-com bubble came and it couldn't repay the debt. It went bust and I lost my money. Mm. But in the short term, the share price went up phenomenally. Mm. And I thought, what a clever guy I am, right? <laughs> But then I forgot my first investing rule, which was don't lose money, right? Mm. And the second investing rule is, don't forget rule number one, mm -hmm. don't lose money. If you invest in a company and it suddenly changes direction, think twice about whether or not you want to carry on investing in that mm -hmm. company. And generally, it is not a good idea when a company does that. What happens, though, if you as an investor can't track all these businesses that closely? If I have to invest all this money in the stock market, how do I ensure that all these companies are going to stay on track to what they set out to do? Okay. There are two ways of doing it, Sarah. <clears throat> the first one is keep your portfolio relatively small. Mm -hmm. And so generally we say that you shouldn't invest, if you are going to be picking single stocks, single companies, don't try and invest in hundreds or thousands of different companies, but keep your portfolio to around the 20 best companies mm -hmm. that you think you want to put your money into. And tracking 20 companies isn't that difficult. But my children are at that stage now where they also need to start investing money. And my advice to them was invest in an index tracker, an ETF. And the ETF that I suggested to them was the MSCI World Index. Mm -hmm. And so you will get exposure to the whole world. Mm -hmm. And within that index, there will be thousands of companies. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to actually sort of know what is going on. Yeah. And instead, just let the index tracker do whatever you want it to do. Now, if you don't want to go overseas, you can stick to the Singapore Straits Times ETF. Mm -hmm. And that way you will have exposure to Singapore's 30 biggest companies. You don't have to watch how mm -hmm. all 30 are doing because that index will regenerate over time. It'll refresh over time. Companies will go out of the index. Companies will come into the index. But what you are getting is exposure to the 30 biggest companies here in Singapore. That way you don't have to worry about anything. So going back to all those different rules that I had, mm -hmm. if you are going to be putting 60% of your money into the stock market, make sure that 60% is in the Singapore Straits Times Index and just oh. let the ETF do it for you. You don't have to do anything. And the charges are considerably lower as well. Okay. 
If our listeners have some extra cash, let's say from a bonus payout or even a side hustle, where do you think they should put it? Right. You have to go back again to those earlier rules that I had. And first of all, remember that a bonus payment isn't guaranteed. Mm. So a bonus this year may not be a bonus next year. Mm -hmm. There may not be a bonus next year. But if you have got some extra cash, mm -hmm. then put it to work straight away. Okay. What I wouldn't suggest is to spend that money or to go on holiday because okay. it is a bonus. Yeah. But just think of it as being something that you can put to work immediately. And if there are various parts of your portfolio that you think need beefing up, Mm -hmm. then do so. Just put that money in. Because remember what I said, mm -hmm. the $100 that you put in today at a 7% return will mm -hmm. turn into $200 in 10 years' time mm -hmm. and $400 in 20 years' time. Mm -hmm. So just think of that bonus as being something extra. And the other thing that people need to remember is that it isn't what you earn that makes you rich, Sarah. Mm -hmm. It's how you spend what you've got that counts, right? Mm -hmm. And so the bonus is an extra. Mm -hmm. And so put that to work somewhere and you will not regret it in 20 mm -hmm. or 30 years time. Mm -hmm. You just talked me out of buying a nice bag. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having a nice I'm bag. Kidding. right? <laughs> no, but back to what you're saying about putting your money to work. You got a bonus? <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, for my husband. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, back to what you were saying is putting your money to work immediately, not yeah. making sure it's not just sitting there. There is another side to this where recently we've seen a lot of young people put their money in the crypto market or crypto-related products. And like what we saw in the stock market, the crypto market has also been battered. We heard what happened with UST and Luna crashing. One report by Today Online said one investor here in Singapore lost 40000 Sing dollars just in days. So what do you think? young investors should take away from this experience? Okay. Remember what I was saying about the pyramid, right? 60% mm -hmm. in income shares, 30% in growth shares, and the other 10% in whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Now, if that whatever you want, that 10%, you put into cryptocurrencies, and then you suddenly had a look at your pyramid, and you suddenly mm -hmm. found that that 10% is now 60% of your portfolio, yeah. you need to rebalance. You need mm. to do something and keep that at 10%. Because otherwise, what you'll end up with is the pyramid being tipped upside down. Mm -hmm. And we all know that you cannot balance a pyramid on its point easily. Yeah. So that is what happened to these people. They put their money into the cryptocurrencies. And sure, they probably made a lot of money. What they should have done was to take that money that they had made and then rebalance their portfolio mm -hmm. so that the cryptocurrencies or whatever it was is still only 10% of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. That way, if you lose 10%, you still have 90%. But if that 10% suddenly becomes 60% of your portfolio mm -hmm. and that blows up, mm -hmm. then you've lost 60% of whatever investments you had. Mm -hmm. So the pyramid is a very, very sort of strong base. It's mm -hmm. a very strong concept for people mm -hmm. to think about how their portfolio is looking. Mm -hmm. And I am, I wouldn't say constantly, but I'm regularly looking at my portfolio and saying, have I got 60% in income? Have I got 30% in growth? Mm -hmm. And that other 10% of those investments that I have, have they grown too big? If mm -hmm. they have, then I need to 
either number one, put more money into the income side, or number two, try and reduce the amount on the top by selling some of it in mm-hmm. order to maintain that pyramid shape again. Mm-hmm. And if you have the pyramid shape, I can assure you, you will sleep very well at night. Mm-hmm. But if that pyramid is tipped upside down mm-hmm. and it's balancing on its point, you will have loads of sleepless nights. Yeah. And I love my sleep. So. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? <laughs> you mentioned that as a rule of thumb, your investment should double in 10 years if you get a 7% return. Is that, Correct. Is that right? Where do we find 7% returns? Now you're seeing the market down and sometimes it's quite discouraging when I think 7%, where do I go? Okay, right. I think it is primarily because uh, you are falling into that same trap of the Mm. recent event syndrome. Mm. You're saying that the stock market is down at the moment. But if you go back and you have a look at over the long term, Mm. if you have a look at how the stock market has performed over the long term, you will be able to find the 7%, right? Mm. It is is not that difficult. 7% over 10 years. Not every year. No, 7% 7 every year. Every year. I'm looking at 7% a year. Okay. Accumulating mm. over the 10-year period, yeah. Okay. So you should be able to get a 7% return on your investment without a great deal of difficulty. Mm-hmm. If you want more than that, then you will have to actually start looking at shares that have the capability of delivering more than the 7% return. Mm-hmm. But in general, you should be able to get at least 7%. Mm-hmm. I'm getting more than that, but... Where? <laughs> <laughs> That is because I am that is because I am more tolerant of risk. Okay. And so I am able to pick stocks that have the ability mm. of growing 15, 20% a year. And because I do that, my portfolio grows a lot faster than 7% a year. Okay. So if you can pick a portfolio that can grow at 14% a year, then you will double your money every five years instead of every 10 oh, years. Okay. There are those investments around. You mean like specific stocks versus index funds that you mentioned? Well, if you want to look for index funds that have the ability to grow faster than Mm. 7%, then you will have to have a look at certain specific indices. So something like a bunch of stocks that follow NASDAQ will give you more than 7% a year. But if you have a look at, say, the Singapore Straits Times Index, that Mm. is around sort of 7% a year. Okay. Anything else that you think the young investor should keep in mind or any mistakes that you, you're seeing too often? Well, I think the biggest problem that people have is listening to... Say it, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, is listening to experts out there, mm-hmm. right? There are many experts out there. And the problem with experts is that they are experts in their own field. And so when you listen to too many experts, what Mm. you then end up with is far too much information that Mm. you need to be able to digest. Mm -hmm. The simplest thing that you need to remember is that over the long term, the stock market will grow, right? Mm. That is just a feature of capitalism, that the stock market will grow. Companies will find ways of generating profits for their shareholders, Mm -hmm. and they will do whatever they can. If they are dividend-paying companies, the last thing they want to do is to cut the dividend. Mm. The last thing they want to do is to withhold that dividend. They want to carry on paying that dividend. And there are some companies out there which we call dividend aristocrats. And Mm. these are companies that have been able to either maintain 
or to grow their dividends over the last 25 years, right? Mm -hmm. And if a company is able to grow its dividend over 25 years, can you imagine what has happened to the share price over the mm -hmm. 25 years? It has actually sort of gone up at the same rate. And so consequently, look for those kind of companies. They do exist. I'm not here to give you uh, stock-specific tips, mm. but there are companies that fall into that dividend aristocrat. Google that, and then you'll be able to find those companies, and you'll go, wow, mm -hmm. those are the companies that I want to invest in over the long term, and I don't ever want to sell those shares. Right, so lots of rules of thumb from David today. And you How have many to thumbs have I got, Sarah? <laughs> How many thumbs have I got? So you have to invest, and the sooner the better. And your investment portfolio depends, of course, on your age. And that inflation will eat away the value of your money if you don't do anything about it. Thanks so much, David, for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. We hope you enjoy this episode of Money Talks. My guest next week is planning on retiring at 35. So I find out how he's planning to do that. The team behind this podcast is Ho Pei Ning, Daniel Lee, Crispina Robert, and you've got a refreshed slate of audio material you can listen to on your commute or your workout. Go to the CNA website or app, look for the listen button, and subscribe to the podcasts you like. If you have thoughts, ideas, or even stories you'd like to share, please write to us. The details are in our episode notes. Till next time, this is Sarah Caldine.